Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. I'm here to ask some questions and also do the ironing every now and then. (laughs) In this edition, we're talking about negotiation, and I thought it would be good to do a podcast on body language in negotiation. Okie dokie. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. Body language, just to say and just to remind you, I know we do the various social cuts which Mm -hmm. get distributed using video clips, but primarily this is a podcast and traditionally that's audio only. So how are we going to do that? I thought you were going to say that because you've got to remember that the pictures are better Yes, on our podcast. Yes. So it's down to you and I to figure out how we can paint the pictures in people's minds that bring and us And Jonathan is gesticulating with I... his left hand by positioning it in the air, pointing furiously at me whilst he reads the first part of the script. Is we that could, what you mean? We could do that, or we could just talk about it. Okay. Could I ask you very, very kindly yep. to start at the very beginning and actually define for us what body language is? Let's start 3.7 million years ago. Okay, so, we've only got 20 minutes. Okay, I'll condense it. Evolution of the human race. We're here, we're thinking with our conscious minds Mm -hmm. and and actually the kind of things that we think about day to day only represents a tiny fraction of what goes on in our brains. Mm -hmm. We've got this thing called our subconscious. Again, we talk about that fairly freely as well. But our subconscious mind... All the stuff that happens in the rest of our brain has evolved to look after us. That's the 3.7 million years of evolution Mm -hmm. that have got us here. And there's all sorts of things that are protecting us and looking after us that we are not even aware of. So that's where body language comes from. So whilst we're conscious of something, there is this subconscious world going on. So I compare this to a boardroom. Imagine that this room we're in here is the boardroom. And we've got the production line that is happening outside of the boardroom. So we're aware of what we're talking about, our conscious mind. And the production line is looking after our bodies and making sure everything's happening. Now, it's very hard for our subconscious mind to talk to our conscious mind. There's not a kind of direct connection. You can, you know, when you get into this stuff, program your subconscious mind. There are things you can do to communicate with it. But fundamentally, it's about being able to listen to this part of our brain that's looking after us mm-hmm. and connect with it. So imagine we get a knock on the door. Go on. Yeah, that's it. And we open that door and somebody says there's a problem on the shop floor. You know, things are going wrong. You need to deal with it. That's like that little voice you get in your head, that little nagging feeling that something that's saying something's not right here. Mm -hmm. I need to attend to that. And if we're tuned in to what our subconscious is saying, then we listen to that. But if we don't open the door, then bad things happen or we ignore vital cues. So body language is really that subconscious knock on the door where something says there's another conversation going on here. There's another thing they're telling me in what their body is doing. And what does that mean? Now, it also means that we do things because our bodies are seeking to protect us all the time. Uh So we will do things and we will respond and move and parts of our body will do things we're not even aware of because of the situation we're facing. And this happens a lot within negotiation. 
A few things that I've already picked up on, and I need you to clarify two points for me, please, because I might be slightly still misunderstanding yep. what body language is. Because yep. whilst you were going through that introduction and answering my first question, when you were talking about opening the door, you were doing the opening of the door with yeah. your right hand. Yeah, yeah. And every time you mentioned a particular point of this list, you've obviously got a list in your mind that you're going through. You're punctuating that list with your hand. You were raising it up each time. Yeah. Also, when you went into detail, you put your hands towards me and then moved in towards you as though you were attempting to draw me into what you were saying so is that body language but furthermore is all this body language such a big deal after all because our lovely listeners in podcast land can't see any of that yet Mm -hmm. you're still doing it yeah and i wave my arms around a lot you do and i'm doing it now you do it's It's a health warning in the studio (laughs) you do it so much (laughs) but it's part of how i communicate and often people that perform and stuff like that will kind of do that movement even if it's only an audio thing so yes it is part of body language but Mm -hmm. actually there's something much much more to that because what i'm doing here in the arm movement is i'm gesturing to reinforce a point to you but also in just the way i'm communicating it but it's not just that it's the things i do that might give away what's happening in my brain Mm -hmm. so remember in a negotiation there are two pathways two things happening there's Mm. what i'm saying to you in terms of the discussion we're having the concessions the trading the positions and then there's what's really happening so i might say words to you that are positioning things for the negotiation so there's that stream of spoken language Mm -hmm. and then there's what's really going on and body language gives away what's really going on that leads me to think about and we'll probably cover this later on the fact that once you know what's happening you can probably control what's happening and therefore use it not as a manipulation but as an enhancement of the conversation shall we say and also you've got me now thinking about this because i'm now asking myself what am i doing with my body language and i noticed that immediately when you went into detail i rested my chin on my hand and went yeah. into the thinking man's pose and, and I we're ca- both doing it now and we're both doing it so, now so my thumb, oh you've got an itchy chin my thumb and my forefinger mm. are kind of making a right angle yeah. and i put that over my chin stroking my chin that's contemplative but what you're describing there is one thing means this And Mm -hmm. that's a dangerous thing to do. There are certain things. You know, that's a classic one. When people make that right angle. It's always a cliche, isn't it? You kind of see it in cartoons. Body language cliche. The other one, of course, is when people fold their arms, they must be closed. I uh, don't agree with that. I do that a lot, but I don't think I'm closed. That is a default position for me, relaxed and chilled. And that's why assigning bits of body language or things people do with parts of their body mm-hmm. to a meaning is a dangerous thing. That's not how we understand body language. There are situations where folding your arms means you're closed, but yeah. actually it might mean you're cold, might mean you're more comfortable doing it. Some people are natural arm folders mm-hmm. and they just fold their arms and feel more comfortable. Okay. So it doesn't have a meaning. And that stroke in the chin thing, yeah, often it's contemplative. But it doesn't follow that somebody stroking their chin means they're thinking about something. So we've got to kind of... What about stroking other parts of the body? Don't go there. Okay. We've got to think think about body language in a very different way. Okay. And you say that, and I know you're going to go into a lot of detail because we've got some notes here. But before we go further, I want to just check that is all this still relevant in terms of how we're meeting each other? Because this was very, very relevant when we were doing sales negotiations, face-to-face presentations in front of people in real life situation. Now, a lot of stuff is on Zoom, Microsoft Teams, other collaborative platforms are available. 
does it still count? It does still count. Face to face, obviously, you see the full body language, and this is cultural as well. So in UK, Northern Europe, US culture, then there's a degree of body language that is relevant. You get into Asian, Middle Eastern cultures, Southern Latin American cultures. That face to face thing is even more critical because the relationship plays even more of an important role within a negotiation. So the body language becomes even more relevant. So yeah, absolutely. And there's a degree of face to face coming back. But as we've said on the procurement show before, mm-hmm. actually, we're going to be doing most of the things that we do online now. Yeah. Most of the clients I work with, they are probably doing 90% of negotiations or online. So 10% have gone back to face to face where it's relevant, where it's worth traveling around the world to yeah. go and do something where you're combining it with a factory audit. Or Is something. that because a lot of your clients are international or that's just now the new way of doing things. It's the new way, I think, because few organisations have restored travel budgets to pre-COVID level. Mm -hmm. But why would you? There's benefit in people coming together face-to-face where that face-to-face interaction adds something or establishes a relationship. In terms of day-to-day business, why would you need to do that? Most of the training we deliver now is live online Mm -hmm. instructor-led training. And this does help towards keeping procurement sustainable. Yes. To answer your question... It is absolutely relevant, but you've got to have the cameras on. You know, you've got to say, okay, we're (laughs) having a negotiation. And so you set it up. So you're talking to camera and you're looking down the lens of the camera and making good eye contact with them. But somebody else is watching the room for you. Oh, cameras on policy. Is that a thing? Yeah, it is a thing. Uh, A lot of companies are now saying we're a cameras on company. When we do training live online, we insist... (laughs) Let's not abbreviate that. We insist... (laughs) Stop it. We insist cameras on because what you can't have is you can't be doing a negotiation and somebody says, oh, the dog's eating the webcam, I'm really sorry... Okay, so let's reconvene because you've got to see each other. So you get a degree of body language more than you think. I do a lot of negotiation training and it's all online. And we actually observe the negotiation role plays online and give feedback. Mm. And you can see 70, 80% of what you would see if you were in the room with them. Okay, you're talking about role play. I've actually written some notes down here with regards to a personal body language panic situation. It's one that I have quite often. Should you be sharing this? Yeah, this is fine. So I've written down, like, sometimes when I need to make an offer, I know that I need to go a bit higher because I know they're going to knock me down. So I use that kind of initial negotiation tactic and I start high. And when I always do that, I feel a bit nervous. I'm nervous talking about it now because it kind of makes me feel as I'm in a second class, second situation position. Mm -hmm. When I do that, I feel like I'm not being convincing. I don't believe that I'm saying. Therefore, I think that perhaps they don't believe what I'm saying, even though I do believe what I'm saying. Why does that panic situation happen when you possibly consider bringing body language into it and when you consider... Consider planning the negotiation. Why does panic take over? Because you're lying. Okay. But you don't think about it as a lie. Truth hurts. I know. But just think about this, right? We don't say when you're negotiating, you're lying. Because lying is a bad thing. Okay? Yeah, of course it is. We don't do that. In a negotiation, we call it a bluff. Right, okay. But you're telling a lie. Because it's the same thing. So you think, you know, here's a situation. This is probably where it needs to be. But it's a negotiation. So they're going to try and beat me up a little bit. So I've got to start way away from here. So you're laying out a position where Isn't that default, though? Well, of course it is. That's how negotiation works. But you're actually lying because you're saying, actually, my best offer is this. And it's not your best offer because you know you can go somewhere else. 
So it's the, exactly the same mm. dynamic as telling a lie. So let's think about what happens. Back to when we're in the boardroom. I feel like I need to defend myself a little bit there yeah. because I think everybody in that sales environment or negotiation environment knows they're going to get a bit of a battering because that's yeah. what you procurement people do. Yeah, it does happen. <laughs> it does happen. You... Only the well-trained ones, of course. Okay. But think about the dynamics there. And this is where the subconscious comes in because what you're doing is you're about to say, actually, here's my position. Mm -hmm. And in your head, you know that's not your position because that's how we play the game. So your subconscious takes this however many million years of evolution and says, whoa, you're about to do a bad thing. You're about to tell a lie. Lying is bad for you. Bad things happen. I need to stop you. So it's banging on the door saying, mm -hmm. don't do that. But you're in a negotiation, so you're going to lay out a position. So what happens is your subconscious tries to take over and stop you telling the lie. Uh -huh. But it can't say don't tell the lie. And all of this is happening without you being aware. It tries to stop the lie coming out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So... A hand will move from by your waist as if to put it in front of your mouth to stop the lie coming out. That's what typically happens. That's uh -huh. one of the reactions. Your subconscious has said, you're going to do a bad thing. I need to stop you. This is bad for you. I'm going to stop the lie coming out of your mouth. And you find you're about to say the thing and you've got a hand that's risen up and is heading towards your face. Yeah. And you think, I didn't ask you to do that. What do I do with this unexpected movement? So you turn it into a nose scratch. Oh, I've just, just, just done it. Because my scratch, nose is you itchy. Just scratch your nose. My nose is itchy. That's all. Right. all. And that was a genuine itch. Yeah. But in a negotiation, if, if you suddenly have a nose itch. So imagine the situation. Imagine Never negotiate in the summer, people, if you have hay fever. <laughs> <laughs> the Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the procurement fun fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. We like to report on some of the more unusual things that get purchased. But how about professional mourning services? Yes, for those who are sadly mourning the loss of a loved one, but worried that there won't be enough people at the funeral, it is now possible to hire professional mourners. This has been commonplace in Africa, Asia and Hispanic countries, but the professional mourning service providers are gaining popularity now across Europe and the United States. You can choose how many professional mourners you want and, depending on how much you want to pay, you can choose different mourning options, ranging from the mourner researching the deceased to get to know them so that they can talk to them and talk to them so, so they can talk to this is bad. others about them. <laughs> at the wake <laughs> so they can talk to no they can't talk to them because they're dead <laughs> so this <laughs> so it ranges right I mean, it ranges from the mourner so <laughs> stop it <laughs> so we do different mourning options okay mm -hmm. so different mourning options ranging from the mourner researching the deceased to get to know them so that they can talk about them to others at the wake or crying that comes extra or the gold standard mourner who will guarantee to roll around on the ground in a state of distress oh my word <laughs> <laughs> not that dress <laughs> distress <laughs> the procurement fun fact contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com 
send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. Imagine that you get pulled over by the police and they look at you and they say, Paul, what speed were you doing? You look at them and you say, and we're obviously in the UK, so in miles per hour, and you say, um, I was doing 30 miles an hour, officer, and you just scratch your yeah. nose like that as you're saying that. You know, you've just said to the well-trained police person, mm -hmm. your body language has just said that was a lie because mm -hmm. a hand came up and you had to do something with that involuntary movement that wants to put it in front of your mouth mm -hmm. and you've turned it into a scratch or just touched the face or something like that. So what happens is in those situations, those key situations where you're saying, tell me your best offer, give me this, give me your position, yeah. and you respond, a bit of your body moves and does something because your subconscious is banging on that door saying, no, no, don't do this, and you're ignoring that, but that movement comes out. The hand may not even move. You know, you may just shift on your seat. So what you said is, I always feel a little uncomfortable. That's mm. because you are going against what your subconscious is trying to do to you, and it's like trying to move a part of your body. I'm feeling very under the spotlight now with everything yeah, that I'm doing I'm because I feel like you're reading me. Yeah. Very interesting point there, particularly with regards to the hand, because I see that happen a lot on TV interviews yeah. where politicians are being put under the spotlight. They do that quite a lot, they actually. Yeah. If only they knew they were giving it away. So you genuinely can detect when someone's lying. Well, can you? Can you detect when somebody's lying? Does it depend on how well they're trained? Can you be trained to bluff properly well here's the thing you remember when bill clinton did that famous, yes i did not have sex with that woman that's yes. what he said and mm. he was lying and you watched that clip i watched it many times he is very convincing in that mm. when you were doing that I, yeah. I can't remember if that was exactly how he did it yeah. but you were punctuating each word he did do it as like though that. Yeah. physically if it was in type yeah it would be bold underlined in quite heavyweight font yeah you're almost doing that with your hand. Yeah, and he did that. If you watch it back, it's on YouTube. And he makes really good eye contact. He maybe blinks a couple of times more than you expect. And in a very punctuated, controlled way, says, I did not have sex with that woman. Mm -hmm. And you look at him and you look at the whole thing and it's very convincing. So the FBI put the chances of detecting lying at about 50% at best. But it is possible to detect if somebody's lying or in a negotiation bluffing because we're trying to understand if it's real or not there are ways of doing that okay now one of the ways that people often get taught yes and i say people security services police and people like that is to look for eye movement have you heard of this you know your eyes do different um, things yeah and I, I do i think so i think i've heard about this if I'm remembering correctly, looking at somebody straight in the eye all the time isn't yeah. necessarily the right thing to do. If you're under the spotlight being critiqued by somebody or asked to answer questions, the chances are you probably won't look them straight in the eye. No, you won't, but you will make eye contact with them. But at the point when somebody says, and how fast were you going, yes. Paul, yeah. and you deliver a piece of information, your eyes will do something. Mm -hmm. Now, and this is a theory, we'll talk about whether this is valid or not in just a moment, mm -hmm. but what happens is when you're recalling information then you're accessing a part of your brain and we've got two halves of the brain the left hemisphere which is associated with facts and data and logic and mm -hmm. things like that and the right hemisphere which is associated with creativity and colors and spatial stuff oh i'm very in touch with my right side i can tell yes so if you're going <laughs> to retrieve a piece of information that's a yes. fact your eyes and this is the theory go to your left 
Okay. So if I say to you, how fast? I'm the police person. Yes. How fast were you going, Paul? And I'm looking at you in the eye. Yeah. And you tell me. Go on. Seventy miles an hour on the dot, officer. Yeah. Now your eyes just flickered to the left then. <laughs> Because I know we're in a studio and all that sort of stuff. There was a little flick, but I'll be watching your eyes then to see which way they went, mm-hmm. recalling facts and data. Yes. But if your eyes went to the right, and if that was a piece of theory that I believed in, then I would think, okay, he's, he's making that up. So he's been giving a creative yeah. answer. Yeah. I'm giving a creative answer. Does that mean you can override those detection signals by always looking left? Absolutely, you... you can. So, of course, I'm a good upstanding citizen of and course. i would never be pulled over and asked such a question but should that happen mm. i would make sure that my eyes went to my left their right as they're looking at me mm-hmm. my left yes officer i was doing 70 miles an hour can't you see my eyes are pointing left yeah. sir <laughs> exactly and that's what people do so that's the problem with that eye thing you can fake it if you know about this stuff you can fake it uh-huh. the other problem is not everybody's wired that way so left-handed people in particular can be cross-wired. So actually their eyes do a completely That'll be different why thing. my partner's always getting arrested then. Exactly yeah. right. If <laughs> always just, looking the wrong way. And not just when he's been asked questions. Exactly. <laughs> the eye thing is an established theory, but it's something that a lot of people in those positions are taught. But mm. actually it's not reliable. In some cases it is. My children, when they were young, they follow that model perfectly and neither of them would ever know how I knew they were lying. Mm. <laughs> you were great dad, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. But not everybody does. So I'll come back to how we can get around that. But in terms of lying... Or detecting the bluff. That is one way. But actually, there are other things that we need to do. So we need to kind of look at all of these things together. And the key is figuring out how we can calibrate somebody. And this kind of brings together everything we've said so far. You know, it's not just about if you do one gesture. It's not just about if the eyes go this way. It's about looking at all of the different things they do. So you've got to watch them. You've got to look at what they're doing in a kind of relaxed situation. You say you need to calibrate individuals. Yeah. So what you're trying to figure out what their default position is. That's it. So you watch them. Uh-huh. So this is the classic thing where trained salespeople will do that small talk thing. If it's a face-to-face situation, that's great because they'll ask you, hey, how was the vacation? So where did you go? What did you do? Did you do? And they'll ask you all sorts of information, you know, that kind of relationship building thing. Yeah. Which is part of how sales work. That stuff also happens online as well. Mm -hmm. But part of that is calibration. So when you're recalling information, what do you do? Which is often why people who've been trained to do this will ask you lots of questions. This feels like they're... Oh, really? You're asking a lot of questions here. Okay. But they're asking you to recall stuff because they want to see what you do in a normal situation at rest. Then in the negotiation, they'll know a lot about you and be able to use that intelligence. So you look at the different cues that people have. You look for clusters of behavior. Yes. And then you look for changes. And Mm -hmm. that's where body language really comes into its own. It's not the thing that somebody does. It's when they do something differently to what they normally do. Okay. So when you fly to the United States of America. Yes. And you land and you queue up to see those nice people at border immigration control. Yes. What questions do they ask you? 
where are you from, yep. why are you here, yep. how long are you staying for, yep. when are you returning. Yep. And they ask you that to check they the, the, yep. the aforementioned ad up. Mm-hmm. I think that's it, isn't it, pretty much? So it's a series of questions like that. Yeah. Have you ever wondered why they ask such benign questions? Because obviously you could make up responses. Isn't it Have to... you ever wondered that? No, isn't it just to check what they need to stamp or sign off with regards to visa entry It's part procedure. of that, but there's a bigger purpose there. Ooh. Because they're calibrating you. They're calibrating you when uh-huh. they do that. So what they're doing is they're asking you to recall bits of information, probably after you've just got off a flight, so yes. you're a bit sort of tired and spaced. And then watching what you do. So they'll ask you three or four questions like, you know, where are you staying? How many nights are you staying, sir? And then the final question might be something like, and are you carrying more than $10,000 in cash? To see if your response is different to all of the other ones. And actually, it doesn't just happen going into the US. It also happens returning to the UK. It does, yeah. I get it quite often because I've got dual residency in two countries. Yeah, and you look dodgy. And I look... (laughs) Thank you. Let's be honest. Yeah, eyes left. I don't look dodgy, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I understand. They'll ask you, you know, did you have a nice time? What was your purpose for exiting the UK? How long were you there for? And actually, it doesn't really matter because I've got dual residency. You said that. You obviously want people to know that. I'm just trying to say there's obviously a reason why they're asking those questions. It is, yeah. Because actually they don't need to ask those questions. The questions are irrelevant. Mm. It's the change in your responses that are relevant. That's what they're watching for. Then customs officers, immigration people, what they're trained to look for is something that's a bit different. And I know somebody who does one of these jobs and I asked him about this and he says he'll ask him a series of questions and just watch them. Mm. And then what he'll quite often do is he'll say, OK, thank you, sir. You can be on your way now. And then he'll watch them to see if there's like a wave of relief that comes over them. A relief indicator of some Um, sort. Or if it's just normal. And if it's not what he thinks, he'll just say, actually, sorry, could you just stop again? Hold on just one moment. Can I just check one more thing? So that's often the giveaway when he sees this change. Yes. So changes. Now, that's not just about eye movement. But it's changes in everything else that we do. So if we're calibrating what somebody does, how they sit and all of those things, and something changes, then that tells us that in a negotiation, perhaps they're suddenly uncomfortable. Uh And if somebody's uncomfortable in a negotiation, what does it mean? I would assume it means they're hiding something. Could be bluffing. They're not at all interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it could be they're looking for an exit. It could be that actually... This isn't going the way they want it to go. Yes, so therefore they want to get out of this situation. Right. So they're looking for an exit. So they thought they were going to come in and do this whatever deal that they wanted to do. You push it to this other place that suddenly is really uncomfortable for them Mm. because it's not the deal that they wanted. Mm -hmm. They want to get out of this, but you're still negotiating and you're not agreeing. Mm -hmm. That's vital intelligence because that tells us we've got it to that point and we don't know where that point is. We got it to that point where we're getting close to the right deal. Okay. Does this have to be taught or do we know some of this instinctively? Is there such a thing as a naturally born negotiator who will run through these methodologies and concepts instinctively? Yeah, there is. And you are that person. And everybody that's listening to this podcast is that person. Because we are all experts at body language. The thing we don't do is tune into it. Right. Because when I run this on training courses, people sort of come into the session thinking that this is going to be the kind of thing that they're going to get their stripes and be able Mm. to do body language. But I usually start by saying, actually, you're already experts on this stuff. You probably just not flick the switch. So we're born with that capability. Mm -hmm. All you have to do 
is tune in. You have to watch what somebody's doing as they're talking to you and just say, what are they saying to me? And just pick up on those little things because you'll get it. Some people are naturally better than others and they'll see those little cues and be able to think, "Mm, not quite sure, wasn't convinced by that. But even if you're not good at it, you can tune into it. For example, I like to wave my hands around a lot. Am I giving stuff away when I'm doing that? No, you're not. And that's a good thing to do because that's just expressive. So the things we've got to watch out for Mm -hmm. and things we've got to watch in other people is when we become uncomfortable and we start pacifying, pacifying behavior. This was a phrase that was coined in a book called Everybody's Talking by John Navarro. He's an ex-FBI negotiator. Brilliant book. And what he suggested was that when people are uncomfortable, they comfort themselves. So the things that people do to comfort themselves, they might rub their eyes. And if I rub my eyes or put my hand over my forehead, it means I can shut you out for a minute. Mm. Actually, that's pretty good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But, But from a pacifying point of view, if I'm really wound up and I'm anxious... If I can just shut the world out for a moment by rubbing my eyes, Hmm. then that's just a moment of comfort. Other things that people will do to pacify, they will lean away. We lean towards what we like. We lean away from what we don't like. People will just lean away. They'll be visibly leaning away in their seat because Uh they won't feel comfortable. There's the turtle where people kind of... I uh, don't normally bring my pets for negotiation, but you know, (laughs) that's fine. You know when you see the losing team come off a sports pitch, Mm. you know, they're not sort of dancing their way off. They're all kind of hunched over. They've Mm. made themselves smaller because they've been I know exactly how they feel. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the turtle. It's called hiding in the open when people suddenly retreat into themselves and make themselves smaller because they're feeling uncomfortable. You might do the turtle, but when I come off the pitch, I use the time warp. (laughs) I'm not coming to watch you play anything. Yeah, no. And rubbing the leg. Yes. The leg rub. You've ever seen somebody... And the rubbing thing is something that we do to pacify. You know, when you're a kid yeah. and you fall over and you graze your knee and you go into your parent or carer, what do they do? They're there. Rub it better, dear. Magic rub. Yeah. When you get older, you can't ask your colleagues for a magic rub. I know. And we should bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan is from David Hutchinson, who asks, Dear Jonathan, Mm -hmm. can a cost breakdown help get a good result from a negotiation? Great question, David. So, yes, it can if we have one and it's accurate. So cost breakdown. So this is something we do a lot in procurement where we can. So it's often called a should cost analysis or a purchase price cost analysis, where basically we figure out what something should cost. Mm -hmm. And often we'll do that by taking a non-complex product or service that we buy and figuring out all the different things that go into make it, figuring out what those should cost, how much the labor would cost, what the overheads would be, where it's manufactured where the service is provided and understanding the direct costs that support the manufacturing or the service provision. So we kind of build these models that give us an idea of what something should cost. So if we know what something should cost and we can be reasonably accurate about that, that means we're going into a negotiation knowing what the end position looks like. So we can then negotiate based on our analysis. And we can even have conversations with the supplier that says, we think it should be this. And they'll say, no, your figures are wrong. So we can then say, okay, so show us where we're wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of got them at that point. However, there are only certain situations where we can do that. 
So we can only get a should cost breakdown if it's a non-complex item. You know, if we were trying to do that for a TV or mm -hmm. something complex, you know, we'd be there for three years trying to do that. There's no point doing it if the market's competitive because the market's kind of driven pricing to where it needs to be. And there's no point doing it if it's a branded product, a patented, a differentiated product in some way, because the supplier is in control of that. With, so, through intellectual property rights. Not right. Yeah. So just imagine if you look online, you can find out how much an Apple iPhone costs to make. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So what's an Apple iPhone? About a thousand dollars, thousand pounds, something like that. Dollars, pounds, pretty much the same these days. <laughs> but in terms of cost, there's various people that have done this, and it comes out at about $150. Mm -hmm. So big difference. You could go to Tim Cook and say, look, you know, I think you're making too much money. Where's it going to get you? Well, absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. So there's no point doing it on something like that. So the answer to the question is, if it's a scenario where we are able to do a should cost breakdown and we are able to put the effort into getting it right... That's brilliant intelligence for negotiation. It's about the best we can get, but that's only about 5% of negotiations. Rest of the time, we are blind or best partially sighted, which is where body language comes in, because mm -hmm. that helps us feel our way. Excellent. Nicely kind of round up there. Don't forget, if you want to send in the question, here's how. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. This is very interesting because I think you're talking about certain things that you perhaps could perceive as being both a negative and a yeah. positive, yeah. depending on the scenario, depending on the situation, depending on the calibration. That's the, th that's that's it. the key You've thing. got it, depending on the calibration. Yeah, so if you meet somebody and they come in and they're rubbing their legs all yeah. the time, that's what they normally do. Yeah. But if they start doing it halfway through the negotiation and they're feeling you know, something's changed, then they're showing signs of discomfort. Hmm. So what they do is unique to the individual, but we're just looking for that shift when they suddenly start doing something different. You know, they might exhale. They yeah. might vent their collar. That's something, you know, men like to do a lot. So those are the signs we're looking for. Has something changed in what they're doing? And what does that tell me? Is there any use in utilising props or specific poses within a negotiation if i could put this question very kindly yep. into the context of what i do a lot and that's interviewing people on podcasts and studios mm -hmm. and things like that i always have a cup of tea yeah because i use it as a prop i use it to either show that i'm quite interested in something because if you drink a cup of tea and you still keep eye contact with you they think oh i'm really you know i'm kind of like yep. I, I give that as a good signal i also use it as a I call it a punctuator. It's not a technical term. It's what I just, yeah. you know, a bit for thinking time. Yeah, absolutely. And also relating to what you said earlier about leaning back, I do tend to lean back yeah. to show that I'm relaxed in what that person is saying. I'll lean back and I might even do that kind of L shape with your knee. Mm -hmm. And you know, I can kind of like go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A nod and they really get into it. Yeah. So those are visual cues that I will use to try and draw things out of the interviewer. Are there similar things that one can use within the procurement negotiation? Yeah, they are. So what you're describing there is your kind of personal theatre. And personal theatre is a really good thing. So I used to work with somebody who would use the cup thing and he would put the cup down. He'd also take his glasses off mm -hmm. and put his glasses down on the table. And that time to do something brought him thinking time, but it changes the state. If things are getting tense, you take a moment to do the theatre thing then you've got a different state. You can either be perhaps a little bit assertive or you can be more relaxed and say, hey, let's just you know think about this differently. Hmm. So you're changing the state of the negotiation. And your, your opponent, for yeah. whatever better way of putting it, isn't going to say, will you hurry up and drink that tea quicker? 
No, they're not. But it puts you in control as well because you're controlling the rate and you've right. just changed the rate. You've changed the state. You have changed the mood, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Puts you in control. Gives you a psychological advantage in the negotiation. Mm-hmm. And again, we touched on it earlier, yeah. but they're looking into your eyes, look straight into the eyes. Look straight in my eyes, not all, all around in my eyes, straight in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. When people are looking at me straight yeah. in the eye, I sometimes, that in its sense, makes me feel uncomfortable because I'd stop doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. It makes me think as though they're literally trying to read me. Yeah. That may or may not be the case. Shall I turn the laser beams off? <laughs> Yeah, that may or may not be the case, but it's probably a position of uncomfortableness yeah. that many people may feel. What is the looking into the eye thing all about? Eyes say so much. OK, so looking into the eyes, you're looking at what the eyes are doing and where your eyes go tells me an awful lot. Yeah. So we've done the left and right. Yeah, and that's in a specific situation where you're recalling information. Right. So let's, I mean left. So, so let's talk about how you see the world, because you will see the world in a way that's very different to how I see the world. Yes. We all represent the world around us and our situation inside our heads, and we have our own way of doing that. And it varies from person to person. We all think we think the same, but we don't. We are very different. So I'm going to get you to do a little task for me now. Oh, dear. Spell the word acceptability. A-C-C. Right, okay, you can stop there. Right, okay. so your eyes went up. Your eyes looked up. Yes. To see that word so you could read it to me. Is that right? Yeah, I visualised it. You visualised that word. I think word. I might have even closed my eyes for a split second. You did, because you mm. were trying to stop me from seeing your eyes open. Okay. So you're a visual thinker, and I know that anyway, because I mm. know you. Mm. But if you're a visual thinker, your eyes will look up, because you'll see that thing in mm. your head. You'll see that word, and you'll spell it. If you were an auditory thinker, by the way, most of the population are visual thinkers, mm -hmm. but a percentage of them are auditory thinkers, which means that they understand the world by how things sound. Mm -hmm. So if I asked you to spell that word, and you're an auditory person, you wouldn't see it. You would hear the letters being said in your head. Ooh. So your eyes would go to the left. You know that thing? Imagine somebody's listening to the radio and their eyes go to the left and they look to the left because they're listening to something. You know, mm -hmm. you, yeah, you, yeah. you see it all the time. The eyes to the left that they're listening to something. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, oh, sh hang on a minute. I want to listen to this. And you kind of look and, down or you look yeah. left. You close your eyes. That's so you, it. Yeah. So if you see the word visually, your eyes go up. Mm -hmm. If you understand the word in auditory sense, your eyes go to the left. Mm -hmm. And if you understand the world by how things feel, we call this kinesthetic, then your eyes go down. So when you ask people to recall complex bits of information, you watch their eyes. And that tells you how they think. So that means because you're a visual person, in the negotiation, I'm going to be using language that connects with your visual thinking. I'm going to be saying, how does that look, Paul? Do you see what I mean? Do you get the oh, picture? Yes. So I'm going to be using specific metaphors, specific words that go straight into your subconscious to make you feel like we're resonating. I'm going to draw pictures on the flip chart or on the whiteboard online because you're going to love pictures. But if you're an auditory person... You won't like the pictures. You want to hear what I've got to say. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be saying, how does that sound? Mm -hmm. Do you hear what's happening here? Mm -hmm. And if you're a kinesthetic person, I'm going to be saying things like, so how does that feel? Do you sense we're making progress mm -hmm. here? And that way I can build rapport with you, which is the single biggest thing we can do in a negotiation to get results. I'm going to build rapport, connect with your subconscious without you knowing that I'm doing it, just because I watched your eye movement. And I know how you think. So eyes are key. 
The other thing about eyes is what our pupils do. So this is why poker players will wear dark glasses. Because if they get the perfect hand, what's happening inside their body is that trumpets are going up and unicorns are doing somersets, somersets, somersaults. (laughs) (laughs) Unicorns are doing somersaults. And, you know, they just want to go, yay. But they can't. But their bodies will give that away. Our pupils will dilate when we are in front of something that we like, when mm-hmm. we see something we like. It's the same physiological reaction in terms of being attracted to somebody. Yeah, I get it all the time. And... <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those moments I just... How do I follow that? <laughs> and, <laughs> the opposite to that, of course, is your pupils will contract when you're in front of something that you don't like and you don't want to be there. So we do that in a negotiation. If it's going well and we really want this deal, our pupils can give that away. Mm-hmm. The KGB used to have drawing pins in their shoes. So in those sorts of situations, they would stab their foot to create pain. Oh. So it would stop their pupils dilating when they didn't want to give away a particular position. That sounds particularly extreme. Or you could just wear dark glasses, which is what poker players do. Yes. But the point is, in a negotiation watching pupils if you can and this you can't do online very easily watching pupils can often tell you whether somebody really doesn't like this or whether they are interested in and want to do this excited about this i've got this vision now next time i have a meeting online i'm going to use that built-in what's it called microscope no not microscope um i have no idea what you're talking about there's a little app hidden in the operating system on both mac and windows that will bring up a box and you can move it around the screen that brings magnify magnify and it brings a magnify difficult word to remember wasn't it yeah you could put it on top of your actual zoom window Mm -hmm. couldn't you magnify their eyes and see if you could pick up their that's not going to work is no. it no you've actually come up with quite a lot of things to look out for yeah quite a lot of tips if you turn everything to look out for into a way of turning it back on someone then yeah. there's actually quite a lot there already i'm kind of starting to worry that everyone's probably thinking this as well and um, that i'm a bit of an open book if so, you're that easy to read yeah how can you stay in control of the situation so we are that easy to read and other people are that easy to read. So we can tune in to reading other people. For us, it's about being aware of what you're doing. So wave your arms around, gesticulate and do all of those things, but know that you're doing it. Right. And it's about if you've got to deliver that line and where you're saying, OK, the best that I can do here in this situation is this. You've got to look them in the eye and you've got to deliver that line. You've got to control your bodily movement. So what I do is... I'll either have both hands on the desk Mm -hmm. or I'll maybe just put my hands together on the desk and have what we call a base position. Mm -hmm. I can manage that because I'm controlling how I sit. I'm doing it subconsciously now with the pen, aren't I? You are, you are. And it doesn't mean to say you have to stay in that position because you can wave your arms around when you're talking, but when you're doing the hard bits, have a position that you can control, Mm -hmm. then you deliver the lines you need to deliver, being conscious not to flinch, move, or do anything differently. Mm -hmm. The other thing that people will often do, and I see this a lot when we're doing role plays, is people will say, right, the best that I can do in this situation is, and they'll deliver the thing, and they'll be so nervous about it that they'll just add something, and maybe I can do this, and maybe I can do, and you've kind of given away the fact that you were really nervous delivering that line. You've just got to deliver the line, sit tight, look him in the eye, stay quiet, count to however many, wait for them to respond. Literally let the full stop land. Yeah, and don't talk. 
And don't say anything. Don't move. Just stay still because they won't be able to read you. So it's all about being aware of what you do. A really great thing to do is to video a negotiation mm -hmm. or a role play and watch yourself back or get other people to give you feedback. If you're doing it online, of course, you can video it and you can watch it back. And you can always have somebody else in the room who's there with a pseudo role, but they're just there to watch yeah, I was you. Really. Ask, actually, I mean, how would you go about learning really to read people at that kind of level? I mean, and I suppose fundamentally, do you need to be an expert in body language to learn to read people to a respectable level? You just need to watch them and put yourself in those situations because you know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And you just need to say... What is it they're saying to me? And I get the privileged position that I get to watch hundreds of negotiations when I'm teaching people. And so literally just watching people, you just have to watch them. Now, there's a piece of work done in the 1970s by a guy called Albert Meriban, who talked about the different percentages when we're communicating. 7% of communication is based on the words alone. 38% is what we call paralanguage, which yes. is vocal inflection tone of voice speed mm -hmm. and also meta language some of the words our choice of words we did talk briefly about that on a previous podcast 55 percent is body language 55 percent of communication comes from body language and so that's why if you take that away people don't quite read the other people in the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, we're all doing this, but we're not doing it with conscious thought. You've just got to tune in to what's happening and just practice. When you go to a bar, when you go to a pub, when you go out, watch people because you'll see interactions between people. You can tell people that are having a bit of an argument. You can tell people where you'll get a couple that come in and they'll be together. Look at their feet because you'll have somebody who's they're together but their feet are pointing to somebody else that they've kind of had a little glance at and there's a little bit of an exchange there don't know them but there's obviously an attraction there because the feet will be pointing to somebody else and you can spot this stuff mm -hmm. just by watching people and tuning in saying what is it they're saying right now uh-huh it's there we know how to do this we're programmed to do this this is fascinating i want to give you my three takeaways if i may do it they are Take some time to learn the default position of the person that you're communicating with. I'm not just going to say negotiating with. I'm actually going to say communicating with yeah. because I think this is a skill that you can use in everyday communication. Understand how that person is comfortable, what makes them comfortable, yeah. because they'll give it away by their default position. Yeah. From a business point of view, a camera is always on as yeah. a specific statement. Definitely which I've never considered doing. I'm often on a meeting, board meetings, etc., where there are some with cameras off, some with cameras on. And I think that's actually a really positive step, not only because it enables you to understand their body yeah. language, but you just said 55% of communication is actually body language. Yeah. You're missing out on an awful lot if you turn off the cameras. So the way to do that is you establish ground rules at the start. Mm -hmm. Can we agree cameras on? Okay. Can you get everybody to agree? Then it's very hard for them to not do it. And my other one, when I said about my concerns of waving my hands around and, yep. and perhaps is probably don't forcibly hide your own mannerisms. Be you. Be you. But just be aware of the stuff that you do in the margins. Those are my three. You got three? I've got one, which is watch uh -huh. people because you are all experts in doing this already. You know how to do this. Just tune into it. It's already in our heads. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com.
The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.